Hi, I'm Rob Banstone, and welcome to the latest editions of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. There's absolutely nothing to discuss this week, so I think we'll be able to keep this within, say, two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, my goodness, Murr. Uh, I'm here with Murray McCormick, a leader post's uh, veteran uh, football writer. Uh, Rough Riders are coming off a 23-17 loss in Calgary, one that was uh, eventful not only during the game, but afterwards given some of the things said by Cody Fajardo. And it was almost uh, uh, prophetic in that a lot of what he said seems to have uh, been addressed, at least in part, by the announcement Monday that the Rough Riders have signed uh, Duke Williams, who should help to address the Rough Riders' more abundant vertical passing game. But first, here's my dog. Uh, there's Candy. Um, I also must note that I have not heard of this invention called earbuds, so I'm still wearing these 1960s-style headphones, and uh, there may be a test pattern appearing on this podcast very soon, given my lack of uh, uh, recognition of the times. Anyway, Murr, uh, you were at the game on Friday. My condolences. Uh, what, what, Saturday. Uh, Saturday. What, what did you make of whatever well, that was? I'm going to throw something out there to first off. Calgary's perhaps one of the worst stadiums to watch the Riders play in. They're first off, they're on the other side of the field, which is just it's all this chaos that was going around there. I hate to say it, but of the seven people in the press box, it looked relatively normal. It was, it was just watching it again on TV to see when they're focusing on, on the chaos, you realize that it's crazy out there. And just and I thought we'd be doing more Rider grumblings today than Rider rumblings. Because <laughs> I... I take the back just because I think Duke Williams is kind of taking some of the heat off of, uh, well, I don't know. The signing of Duke Williams does something. I was going to ask that. Does it put more heat on Fajardo and Moss or does it take the heat off Fajardo and Moss? Or is that, because that's, I kind of want to head to the, because that's the big news of the right off the spot. But does that take the heat off of them or does it put more pressure on that you've, Cody kind of went out there and not suggested, told people that they need something more than what they had. And then the, Two, two days later, the Riders signed Duke Williams. So is the pressure on now for Cody to follow up that uh, request, rant, demand? I don't know how we word that frustration. A very candid post-game dissertation on the woes that have afflicted yeah. the Rough Riders' offense. Um, ultimately, I think it should alleviate the heat because not only Duke Williams being signed, but uh, Shaq Evans should be back perhaps on August on October 23rd the same day on which Duke Williams is expected to make his debut with the Rough Riders. So you infuse those two weapons into the lineup, two CFL All-Stars, Williams in 2018, Jack Evans in 2019. I don't know that how that doesn't help your passing attack. Uh, now, and, and it, I don't think the adjustment will be serious for Duke Williams because he knows the Jason, Jason Moss system. He's played in it. So it's not like you're going to have to wait a few weeks for him to get used to it. He already knows the terminology. So that that should help. I think they'll they'll need maybe some time to establish a rapport, at least Duke Williams will with uh, with Cody Fajardo. So that that may require a little bit of a an adjustment. Even when Weston Dressler was infused back into the Rough Riders lineup at Labor Day 2014, it's not like he and Darian Durant picked up where they left off in 2013. It, it did not happen in that game, and then it did not happen at all after Darian was injured the following week. So um, and Andy Fantuz too. Andy Fantuz in there. When he came back from the States, 
quick, you know, it took yeah, him a while we, to catch up to where he was. He, for the never, did, he never did in 2011. It's a really good example. Yep. You know, Rhett Dawson showed up out of nowhere in, in, in 1974. Riders played Calgary. Ron Lancaster, Ron Lancaster threw two touchdown passes to him in, first, in his first game. And, he, and it was like he had another Hugh Campbell. And when Hugh Campbell arrived in 63, it didn't take long for uh, Ronnie and Hugh to establish a rapport. Joey Walter shows up midway through the 77 season. Him and Ronnie got along great. Uh, and again, there's a Western wrestler example from 2014. So sometimes you sometimes it uh, yeah. you can just put somebody in there and they just it's like they've never they've they've been playing in that system all their lives. And sometimes it takes a while. With this offense, I think the the like the likelihood is that it, it may take a while because yes, it'll be nice to have Shaq Evans back. Yes, it'll be nice to have Duke Duke Williams. But if the other issues, the ones that are so were exposed for all to see. Uh, on Friday, on Saturday, aren't addressed. Will it matter if 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 Cody Fajardo doesn't have enough time to get the ball to either of those players? You could have you could have DeAndre Hopkins in there, and it wouldn't make a difference. Um, and if Cody Fajardo, you know, can't make the deep connections when they are there, which isn't very often, uh, that won't matter either. He's had Kyron Moore wide open twice this season for what should have been yeah. touchdowns and missed them both times. Tina and LaFrance was open in the end zone on Saturday. He missed them there, although he had a, he had a pass pressure kind of uh, and there was a, altering the traje- trajectory of the throw. So and there's a if Calgary he's not going to hit those passes, it doesn't matter who you have who, who you have running the patterns. There's also a Calgary defender within the area code of Keon LaFrance, too, on that passing play, not where Keen, where Kyran was wide open. Like, that was – yeah, that's, like, one of the worst passes. I just – I wonder if we're, just to take it back to uh, to the Duke a little bit though. Are we putting too much pressure on him? Because how many times have we seen guys come back from the NFL and not be able to perform? And I know Duke Williams. He's been now there for three years. He's had two years up here. And I wonder if our expectations maybe tempered down a little bit for the guy, knowing that he's been away for three years and he's been away from the CFL. Or should we be this excited about a star all star from 2018, who's three years older? It's not like the BC Lions are bringing back a washed-up Mervyn Fernandez way once upon a time. He's 28 years old. I mean, he's two years younger than Shaq Evans. Mm-hmm. So uh, should be. I don't stuff. think there's a real – he's only a year, young, year older than Ricardo Lewis. So I don't think there's a real reason to worry that there's going to be right. a, a prolonged adjustment period there. I just think the, the offense as a whole has got to get better for their talents, for the talents of Evans and, and Williams to be exploited to the degree that's going to help this offense. If Cody doesn't have time to throw, what's he going to do? If he's going to, if he's not going to hit the op- wide open receivers when they are there, what's he going to do? So if Jason Moss doesn't call, start calling a better game, what are they going to do? If they, if the running game is going well and then they, they seemingly, they suddenly forget that they have a running game, again, if, if the Calgary Stampeders very rarely rush with more than four men on Saturday. The only time I noticed it was on the second and second and two play from the St. Peter's 40-yard line late in the game, and they sent a fifth person, which was the only time I noticed the whole game that they sent more than four, and that's when they sacked Cody Fajardo. The one time they sent a blitz, Cody Fajardo was sacked, not necessarily not by the blitzer, but by a nose tackle who just blew up the Rough Rider uh, offensive line. So if, if they can't block four guys when they virtually know four guys are coming and they – and, and those four players should be outnumbered by the five on the offensive line. What difference is it going to make on that final play? Uh, the, the the interception that was on a pass intended for Ricardo Lewis. 
they kept Braden Lanius in the backfield. William Powell was in the backfield. And they sent out four receivers. So it was four receivers against eight. So if that's going to be the philosophy, now, I wasn't really that adept at math, but eight is greater than four. In fact, I believe that to be twice the number. So if you're going to send four receivers against eight defenders at a time when you need to complete a pass for 10 yards, philosophically, you're pretty much tying your hands. And so they, pick- they've got to make some adjustments. And, and they needed the extra protection because even though Calgary was rushing four, it still took William Powell to make a block in order to afford Cody enough time to throw right. the interception. So, yeah. uh, and, it, and he still picked the last guy to throw it to, really. Yeah, the best option in that play would have been Mitch Picton. Yeah, but the only was, option in that play would have been Mitch, Mitch Picton. But even he wasn't like wide open. It wasn't that they it was they were looking no. from the word go, right? From and give Cody a little bit of credit. He managed to get it to the area, but it was just you could throw it. Like I don't even think Lewis had a chance to catch that. I don't think Lewis. I looked at it again just for he didn't even put his arms up to try to catch it. No, he was he was he was playing defensive back, and the and the, and, and Moxie was in the role of the receiver on that one. Like you think but if you look that, at that play. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ken Schaefer Baker runs a double move down the left sideline. I don't think you're going to fool anybody with a double move in that situation. So he yeah. was out of the equation. Uh, Kyran Moore ran a in pattern in the boat or a dig route, whatever you want to call it, about 15 yards. He did not look especially vigorous in running that pattern, and the cut over the middle was kind of rounded off. It looked like Watching him run that pattern, it looked like he wasn't expecting to be the primary target there. Mitch Picton lined up in the left slot closest to Cody Fajardo, uh, went out five yards and then went diagonally. It looked like he had a chance to be open, but it would have taken a touch pass to float it into that void yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the zone. But the, I think the, the, part of the, the, the worst option on the play was a wide side throw to a receiver who in all but one game has not been a factor who was, just happened to be double-covered, because everybody was going to be double-covered mathematically. That did not have a chance of working. It just didn't. They Why not send everybody deep and have Cody run a quarterback draw? If you're or even to do play that? action to William Powell. Like, William Powell had a pretty good game. I know the yards were not up well, there. Well, play action wasn't going to work on third and ten. That's not going to fool anybody. Well, I tried something to fool him rather than just dropping back and hucking and chucking it. <laughs> Well, they didn't have anybody near the 38-yard line. The closest was receiver was on the 32 or 33, and that was Kyron Moore. Uh, you've got to get 10 yards. That's a minimum in that situation. You've got to get 10 yards. And the pass was intercepted with 25 seconds left. So had they gotten to the 38-yard line with 25 seconds left, they still would have had a, a, at least a reasonable chance at, at moving. At a, they would have had time for three plays uh, in that situation unless they totally frittered away their the clock, which isn't isn't uh, out of the realm of possibility. But it just that was a lousy call, and it was a lousy throw. And it was a lousy performance by the offense as a whole, save for one drive that included a 22-yard run by William Powell, a four-yard touchdown run by William Powell, and a 71-yard pass to Keon Schaefer-Baker. Aside from that, uh, what a just an absolutely uh, somniferous performance by the offense. And they're more they're past the midway midway point of the season. It's uh, it's not like they they're, they're still getting to know each other. Well, what do you think about them giving up back-to-back touchdowns to start too on offense on oh. defense? But that's, yeah. you know, that's Bo Levi. I looked like he was going to run away with that one. And, and he, he didn't have, he didn't have a didn't receiving have a core team. that was any better than Saskatchewan's. They were, they were without, without uh, their two oh. leading receivers. Oh, and, 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 and suddenly, uh, suddenly Sean Bain is ripping them apart early in the game. First on a deep, uh, deep route or a corner route. Then the, uh, 
in the first quarter and then a touchdown. So was Calgary any better off receiving-wise than Saskatchewan? I would argue no, but Bo Levi Mitchell made it happen. And, and right before the, the second Calgary touchdown, the Riders had a – statistically they called it a third and two, but it looked more like a third and three. And Kyron Moore is wide open, and he doesn't make the pass. And I have no problem with the call because, honestly, it was pick your target. Braden Lenius was open. William Powell was open. If they just wanted to take the short little flip pass for a first down, it was there. But the, the big play was there to Kyron Moore and how that could have changed the game. And and uh, he didn't put any air under the ball and lit, pretty much let the air out of the riders' tires. Calgary goes down and scores. It's a 14-point swing in a game that was ultimately decided by six. Exactly. And the defense did kind of buckle down after that. They gave up nine points after that point, from that point. And they kind of limited. And, of course, Bo Levi appeared to get hurt a little bit, kind of damaged his re-injured shoulder a little bit. So with the status, he's still supposed to play on. Well, I don't know what he's supposed to do on Saturday. We'll still keep an eye on that. But Jake Mayer is pretty good too, so they might have some options there. I uh, know, I know, this is going to be on. The, what about Brett Lowther's game? Is, is it getting overshadowed yeah. by everything happened to him right there? Like, what is three for three field goals now? Eight for eight after. Yeah, you know, after a four for nine swoon, he was ten yeah. for ten, then four for nine, now eight for eight. Um, and three. then, he, of course, he recovered his own onside kick. And I think the second, like, I forgot the second one they called a timeout on, but even I think the second one was catchable too. If someone looked at the, so you maybe can, how often do you see one onside kick work and then you see three onside kicks work? I don't know how close the second one was, but because I never could find, but what yeah, a but game you thought after, they, after the first one went against them, you thought there's no way. What a strange and, uh, world in the CFL. If a penalty goes against you, okay, but you keep the ball. Isn't that a weird, like, what, what's the penalty from that? You still keep the ball? Is that still to encourage onside kicks and illegal interference? Because obviously that legal interference call, well, not obviously, probably well, led to... But if Calgary, the, the option then was for Calgary to decline the penalty. And if they decline the penalty... They lose the ball. They lose yeah. the ball. So what, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. But the Riders did get that second chance, and, and Brett Lowther with an amazing play. Amazing. Never seen that. I really Riders have to... athletes for kickers. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that play that Brett Lawther made, that was a terrific athletic play. And their punter was an all-star receiver with the U of R Rams and was an amazing player with the Sheldon Williams Spartans. He was also a goaltender once and a lacrosse player at once upon a time. So um, they've got some good athletes at kickers. I'm not sure if they have good athletes at the receiving positions, however. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I kind of remember, and I know this is going to, didn't uh, Jason Claremont score on an onside kick with the Rams one way, way back in the days? No, Chris Warnicky. Chris Warnicky, okay, remember yeah. that one? That was... Yeah, I was at that game. So, um, sorry, sorry, Jason, but sorry, Chris, <laughs> I remember they, that. One. They, they were they were one A and one B with the Rams. Chris Warnicky, I've talked to some people who have said, you know, Jason Claremont had a great CFL career, and nothing mm-hmm. against Jason Claremont, but the forgotten player from those Rams teams was Chris Warnicky. He was such an amazing athlete that yeah. there's a lot of people who to this day think that Chris Warnicky could have been a terrific player in the Canadian Football League. Right. Talk about great athletes. This is someone who played. Uh, basketball for the U of R Cougars at the same time played football for the U of R Rams. Is, is it a pure athlete? I'm not sure there's been a better uh, one ever to play uh, yeah. intercollegiate sports in Regina. Chris, Chris Warnicky's still playing senior men's basketball and is still dunking. Really? I mean, yeah, it's, it, he's an absolutely, absolutely amazing player. So it isn't surprising. When I saw KSB going down the side, and that's what I immediately thought back. Because I, I, it's many, many years ago, I thought, he might score. He might score. Mooden had to be crazy if he scored and had a call back. But yeah, well, they they did they did they have scored on two of those in their history. 
Good Cleveland band against the Edmonton Eskimos in 1976. Cleveland band? And, uh, and Steve Dennis. Steve Dennis against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 1981. So uh, it uh, it's not without precedent for them to score, for the Rough Riders to score on an onside kick, but they haven't done it for 40 years. Yeah, okay. So, so Rob, just a little bit back to Duke Williams again. He comes back for October for October 23rd. Yes, great stuff. Where do they put him? Where do uh, you get out of that roster to get Duke Williams on the roster? Well, uh, for all the Ricardo Lewis fans out there, I think you better <laughs> enjoy yeah. Watching him play on on Saturday because barring a, an impressive performance, that should be it. Um, that's just that's just, to me that's a simple flip. Duke Williams for 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 Lewis. Uh, for Lewis. But Williams has Shaq always Shaq Evans. Shaq Evans goes back to his accustomed wide side spot. Maybe you can work uh, work work a rotation with with Keon Schaefer Baker moving him inside with his athleticism, and then have him running the running the waggle as well. Maybe he could be even better. And with his size as an inside receiver, too, I think that would be beneficial. So look at this receiving for all of a sudden. If you've got Duke Williams, Shaq Evans, Tyron Moore, Keon Schaefer-Baker. My goodness. And if you've got, if you've got weapons, Braden Lennon, Lewis, you know, Ricardo Lewis, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the obvious odd man out there. Yeah. You know, what one of the five games, he's, he's been a factor. And the, the riders are in a position too where they have options because they started nine Canadians on a Saturday. Like, yeah, they don't have three. You know? They don't have any. The guys are going through the roster, you know, like, except, you know, now do they want to keep that? Because I think they want Andrew Lauderdale back. I, I just don't. I think they need yeah. something. They need, they need him back. They need him back. And I think that's a big sign of what's going to happen that Lauderdale is going to come back. And then, but even then, they still have enough. If, if Lauderdale starts, that still means they're starting eight Canadians. Yeah. So that gives them the latitude. They, to, they just, they just, if, if you start seven and then somebody gets hurt, then you have to make in-game adjustments. But they're, yeah. they're in pretty good shape there, uh, Canadian-wise. Very pretty. So how are they in good shape, Rob, regarding this season? Put me in a big picture view of this. Is it, we saw the first time of a totally, because Cody Fajardo has been the most upbeat quarterback in a long time. He rarely, we don't, we only see him lose. How many times have we seen him lose? So it's not really, you don't really see yeah. him what have we asked, but in the big picture thing, should we be hitting the panic button or thinking that, okay, to go on the road, you know, it's reasonably tough environment. I don't, I don't think it was as tough as, as, as unbalanced as there's enough rider fans, not a lot. There's enough of them this kind of counteract the Stampeders noise, but is this the panic button? Are we always thinking about, oh, oh things are going to look shaky from here on in, or is it just a blip? Well, it's certainly a, a pivotal point in the season where they've got to respond to this. Uh, they've just finished losing to a two and five team. Now they're playing a three and five team at home. They should win that. If they don't win this on Saturday, they're suddenly uh, they're suddenly five and four and going to, uh, to play the same team a third time that they've just lost to twice. So they if they lose on Saturday, they can pretty much call themselves a 500 team uh, uh, two weeks later. So uh, this Saturday game is and there's no Duke Williams coming back coming into the lineup for this game. No. There's no Shaq Evans coming back for this game. They've got to win with a team that, with largely with a team that um, was fell short in many ways on Saturday. And Cody Fajardo's got got a up his game. I, I don't I don't argue with anything he said. I don't think you can. Some people have said he threw some teammates under the bus and that he, he was pointing the finger at others. Cody Fajardo has been the first to point the finger at himself several times. Now he hasn't had a lot of losing situations with the Rough Riders, but when he's played poorly, he's been very quick 
to put the onus on himself, excessively so in some cases. Uh, what did he say that was inaccurate? Now, the only inaccuracy I can point to has been Cody Pajardo on this, some of the deep deep throws that, that have been there. And uh, and so he's got to make those throws. He's, those plays, when those plays are there, and it isn't very often, he's got to make them. And he, he also said on Saturday that he's got to play better, and he reiterated that point. Yeah. Um, so I don't take issue with what he said. Maybe this is the wake-up call that they needed. When somebody like Cody Fajardo says what he says, how does that not send shockwaves through the dressing room? How does that not wake people up? I think that could be more productive than destructive. Well, we'll have a better idea on Saturday around 8 p.m. But when somebody who is, is typically deferential to his teammates and somebody is always so respectful and, and always so upbeat, when he reaches a boiling point to the degree that he does, maybe that's maybe that just gives the Rough Riders the shock they need. Because they've been getting away for a lot yeah. of the season with not having a deep passing game. They've been getting away with not having a, uh, the kind of protection up front that they need. They've been able to to survive that. Even at 5-3, and three, they're still alone in second place. They're in good shape. But they've been getting away with a few. And there are some games where, look at the two games against BC. If they can make field goals, BC can make field goals in the first game, Riders maybe lose that. If BC misses doesn't make that forty misses that forty doesn't miss that forty three yard field goal in the second game against the Lions, the Riders lose that. Uh, so the margin for error hasn't uh, it's been pretty small in some of those games. And if you reverse the outcome of those BC games, suddenly five and three is three and five, and they're in real trouble. And it's maybe a handful of plays for this team that are the difference between five and three and three and five. So. I think what Cody Fajardo said was not only accurate, but very timely and could ultimately prove to be productive. And if, but he's also going to be part of the uh, uh, of the uh, solution now. He can. It's folly to think that everybody else around Cody Fajardo has got to up their game, and he doesn't. He needs to be part of that solution, and he made that very clear as well. Do you think they they had to be working on the Williams deal before the game? Like I know people are saying, oh, this is Jeremy O'Day's reaction to to Cody Fajardo's frustrations. They signed Williams two days later. I, I kind of wonder if they, they had to be working on that deal ahead of time oh, yeah. and getting close. Because Jeremy is not shown to be the type of guy to overreact and do something like that. Just not overreact, but just boom, it all happens. He signs, you get the money together. So it's, it was probably set up before the game. And I wonder if Cody knew about it before the game or knew there was talk of it. Well, what he, you know, it's certainly what he said after the game certainly proved to be prescient with, uh, two days later when they announced it. But what I wonder is, okay, they were negotiating with Duke Williams. After Saturday, did they top up the offer to make sure they do get Duke Williams? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, uh, I think that that's that's the question, and we'll never know. But, um, but that's what makes me wonder in this situation: is it, did they sweeten the pot after Saturday, knowing this guy's out there? Can we afford not to get him? And if they don't get him, then he ends up playing against them. Yeah. Well, remember the uproar when Derek Moncrief signed with the Elks? You know, the Riders yeah. let this one get away. But at the time, the Riders didn't really need him. You know, Micah Kites was playing I well. St- I still Lansing. don't think they do. I don't think – but they Micah needed – Micah Kites has been terrific for them. They needed Duke Godfrey Williams. Godfrey on Yuck has played well. Yeah. So they John needed – has played well. So the money, saved, the money they saved with Derek Moncrief, they could put towards Duke Williams. You know, so yeah. they, let's say they had signed him. I don't think there was – I don't think he was really on their radar, but they got him. So now they had the money to spend on Duke Williams for something they desperately needed. It's funny. 
if you had told us at the beginning of the season that the Riders would have to go out and sign a receiver of Williams <laughs> to get, we'd probably say, no, I don't think so. Like, that's a pretty good receiving core, we thought, at the beginning of the season. We thought. We didn't think there'd be the big issues. We knew there'd be issues with the offensive line. And we wondered if our 33-year-old running back, what would happen with him. But we were, we were pretty confident in those receiving group, weren't we, back then? <laughs> well, the problem seemed to be that it was a nice problem to have. Where are you going to find spots for all these players? Yeah. You know, it was, like, it was like people were raving about the Canadian receivers. And they have, by and large, been productive. Braden Lenius had a horrible game on Saturday. But he also has their four of their five longest receptions this season. Keon Schaefer-Baker, he's got to stay in the lineup regardless of what happens now. He's a he's a absolute keeper and an absolute yeah. steal. Uh, Mitch Picton's been reliable, but he would seem to me to be the odd man out in the equation uh, once once you add in uh, Duke Williams and Jack Evans. It, to me, it, that, the flip there is is Ricardo Lewis and Mitch Picton, because they just aren't using him very often, yeah, um, even though he would have been the best target on that last play. Uh, but yeah, And then you're looking at, at it, okay, they've got Jordan Williams-Lambert, they've got Shaq Evans, they've got Kyron Moore. Where do you find playing time for Paul McRoberts? I mean, that seemed to be one of the huge questions. And Jake Hardy was looking so terrific in, in the preseason. And what yeah. what's happened to him? So um, what seemed to be an area of strength is now a, a liability to the extent that, yeah, they had to go out and spend some coin to get Duke Williams. That's a great point, Mer. Another interesting point, too. Braden Linnius took a big hit. I think that was him coming across the middle. We just got rocked. He just, that, was, that was a big, fair hit with the shoulder pads and everything. I kind of like to see those hits in football still. It's not out loud that you can't give a guy a good hit. But And they, they, there seem to be some communications issues on, on at least oh, one, one Cody, play. Cody. Cody talked about he's, he's got to enunciate better. Hey, I know about enunciations. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's the first time I'd ever heard of that, where a quarterback was worried about how he enunciated and was wondering about the offensive line, understanding him. And I thought, that's, that's an interesting. That's interesting. Well, remember, who pointed this out? Was it Jamie Nye? I think it was Jamie Nye the other day. He pointed out that in the explanation – uh, Jamie at the green zone, he pointed out uh, that in the explanation of the 13th man unraveling against Montreal, that the Riders had two special teams plays that with names that were virtually identical and that there was some miscommunication because one term sounded like the other term. So, okay. you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why, why in situations where you've got fan playing half your games on the road. And a lot of times you're, you have to deal with crowd noise. Why would you have words that, uh, sound pretty much the same as terminology. 13th man, man 13th. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, a little scary when, when, when yeah. again, this far into the season, you're dealing with those, those issues. Um, you know, we'd never heard that before. Uh, just uh, that's a new one. There were a lot of new ones on, on yeah, Saturday. That was such a weird game. And all that went wrong and the Rough Riders had a chance to win it. Yeah, at least yeah, at least they had a chance to win. And I still, you know, even I said play action, I take that back. Just hand it off to Powell. He could have gained 10 yards too, you know. I don't think that well, was. In that situation, I don't think the handoff is, it's. Yeah, but. That's also a bit of a clock gobbler. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and they ultimately needed him to provide the protection. It just. Yeah. And that's what he does. He's one of the best in the league out of it too. He's but people, you know, people have said, you know, was it, uh, was it Moss's, Jason Moss's call or was it Cody's? execution of the play. Well, what option did Cody Fajardo have but to go deep on that play? 
Yeah. Again, Williams, uh, uh, Schaefer, Baker down the left sideline, uh, Lewis down the right sideline, Picton running a, a vertical, sort of you know a deeper uh, diagonal route, and 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 the only the only target over the middle was Karim Moore, 15 yards downfield, and he didn't even seem to be a factor from the from the snap. So, uh, regardless of what the call was, he had no option but to but to go deep, and. Yeah. Uh, and here we are uh, dissecting it a few days later. Hey, let's go a little defense, defensive yin and yang. A.C. Leonard comes back. I think had an outstanding game, couple sacks. He chased down quarterbacks. He looked like his regular self. Nick Marshall, at least three or four yards out of bounds, slams Braun in the back and gets an unnecessary roughness penalty. Like, what's going and it's on not the, And it's not That's the first. This, this team has taken – and Craig Dickinson has lamented these needless – you know, well, in that case, it wasn't a 15-yard penalty because it was half the distance to the goal line. But uh, these these needless penalties over and over. And at what point does the does the uh, does it sink in? That that penalty to Marshall wasn't especially costly because it didn't lead to a marching off of a lot of yards. But it's still a but, but it's it's indicative of a mentality and a mindset on this team that has been allowed to uh, persist and has not been addressed. It's an emotional game. Things are going to happen, but. That's a bad sign when it's when it's despite the repeated laments of the head coach, there are just more instances of it. But that was why even bother that play. I, I know that he didn't he didn't slam him in the back. I'll take that back. He hit him in the back with his hand. Or was just what, what's the point of that? Like I know he's frustrated, got beaten on a on a good pass, but don't do it. Just don't yeah. do it. Like I, in the offsides they get in the because. Basically now when you watch, you hear that you see a flag, oh, it's going to be offside on the riders or a legal procedure. You're kind of giving up on the – you know they're going to get a penalty. You don't think it's going to go the other way. So this that's got to be addressed. I don't know how they address it. They talk about – you know, they do it in practices and they do it in meetings and they talk about it, but, they, you know, it's still on the field. It's still happening too far. They're too selfish long. penalties. Yeah. They're just absolutely selfish penalties. And, uh, you know, uh, you talk about putting yourself above the team and, you know, and there's been some talk – on social media and in some emails and on some talk shows, what did Cody Fajardo do that on Saturday? I don't believe he did, but a penalty such as the the roughing penalty that does put yourself above the team, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's a bad sign. And it just happens too often. And uh, so the Rough Riders, I think there's there's a lot to clean up. They're still in they're still in pretty good shape at five and three, but, but they would have been in in perfect shape with the win. Yeah, that would have given them that could have almost like. You know, I was looking at the standing state, and they have a little box on that says clinched playoff berth. They haven't put that out yet, obviously not. But I'm looking at where Winnipeg's standing from. Maybe, you may as well just throw it right up besides Winnipeg saying they clinched the playoff berth. You know, yeah. they're 7-1. I don't. I can't see them. Like, we've seen Calgary a lot of times run through, roll through the regular season and then struggle in the playoffs. It happens. But I don't know. This Winnipeg team, did you see any holes out there? Even They used to have a hole in the kicking game. It looks like they've kind of addressed that. In some well, sense. the Kenny, Kenny Lawler situation is interesting. Yes. So but that, what, what uh, a, can I say, I don't think kudos, the Boo Bombers got in front of that right away. That press release was out last night, not right away, as close as they could. Supposedly Lawler's meeting with the media today to discuss what happened about there and it put his sides. It takes me back to when Odell Willis way back when had the impaired driving in the offseason. Charleston Hughes here a few years ago. Charleston Hughes. And, yeah, so, you know, people, these Unfortunately, these guys are human. They make stupid decisions, and there's a price to be paid. I, I think he's going to miss that game for sure. I think they may, maybe they'll tag another one on there for 
I'm guessing, but who knows? Maybe I think Charles only missed one game with his uh, DUI, so maybe that's the precedence already set for that. But I'll give the Bombers credit that they they didn't hide from what they got on the front of it, and uh, that's what they got to do now. You can't you can't sort of say, well, we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to talk about it. You have to almost address those kind of issues, unlike what they did with AC Leonard when they put it off a little bit longer than that. But in the end, interesting thing too, and I know it's another Gary Peters does the same things to a doping official, and he ends up appealing his and getting a fine. So the kind of, you know, AC Denver didn't appeal and gets a suspension. So you wonder why he didn't want to go that route. But we don't know about that one. Didn't he appeal? I thought he did appeal. Well, I don't know. How did he keep the suspension then? I don't Because I've never, I don't Maybe, Was it upheld? I, anyway, I'm not sure. I'm sure about, I... Yeah, I'm not going to. I just think, anyway, I hate to bring up stuff we have questions for. We have no questions this week either, do we? No, we don't, um, and it's very upsetting. But uh, if you do have questions, feel free to email me, rvanstone at postmedia.com. We'd be happy to um, discuss any questions that you would be kind enough to send us. Um, looking ahead to Saturday, but, well, what do look, you expect now that the riders are at home to Calgary? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. And if you don't win it, they've got four of their last five games at home, I mean, on the road. On the road, I know. I mean, this like, is really pivotal just because of location, location, location as much as anything. And, you know, I was going to say, just before we get that, what do you think of the crowd's going to be like? Thanksgiving weekend, Saturday, later kickoff? Do you think it's going to be more like the last home game here? Will it look sizably under 20,000? Or do you think it's yeah, going to be like the crowd? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, they'll still announce, probably announce 25, 26 regardless because that's how many tickets they're selling. But if you look around at what the response has been, to sporting events, I think what happened at the Riders' last game is probably more indicative of what you, what you might expect. The right. Pat, Regina Pats only got 4,200 people for their first uh, home game with fans since March 11th of 2020. If you look around the around the major junior ranks, they're just not getting big crowds, even for home openers that should have wet the, whetted the appetite of people who haven't seen things like this for a while. So there's there's, a, there's an unquestioned hesitancy to patronize Busy Saturday, events, right? too. Busy Saturday for Regina Sports. You know, you had the Pats, you had the Riders, and I think the Rams played Saturday night, too, didn't they? Was that Sunday? Uh, uh, the Rams are idle this weekend. No, last weekend. Oh, you, are you talking this past weekend? Yeah, past yeah, weekend. Yeah, the Rams, Rams played, uh, they deserve a shout-out, too. They beat the yeah, U of Dinos 34-21. There's a Rider connection. Deshaun Mims, who caught two touchdown passes for the Rams. It's part of a 21-point second quarter. His father's... Robert Mims, who in 1996 was named the most outstanding player in the West the two, Division. The two brothers, too, is not from the Ryder connection, but the two Ryder Calgary deceivers. Ugh, sorry, I've done a blank. The running back, Corey. Oh, oh the Phil Pop brothers, yeah. Phil Pop brothers. Sorry, folks. It was like a 106-yard reception yeah. by Phil Pop in that game. I mean, it was uh, – I wish I'd gone. I was at the Pats game, and uh, the Pats started at 1.00. The Rams started at two, and the Riders started at five. So I, th I thought the only event that I'll have a chance to uh, see through it through its conclusion and still see the Rider game is the Pats game. So I went to that. I wish I'd gone to the Rams game. I wish I'd been able to go as well. It drives me nuts when the Rams and Pats, or when any teams in this community schedule opposite one another. I understand in this case it was unavoidable because CBC wanted to show the yeah. the, the the Pats game nationally, and uh, so that was it was shifted from an evening game to an afternoon game. Had it been an evening game, then I wouldn't be able to see it at all because of uh, the Ryder game. So, but it's just you know, in a small community like this, it just absolutely gores my ox when 
sports fans have to choose between A and B or C. There's not a lot to now, – now, COVID has been a bit of a factor, too, and teams have drawn up schedules later than was once the case and uh, with a little more urgency. But still, I wish teams could stay out of each other's way so you could go see everything. So anyway, so look quickly back to Saturday's game. Riders got to win, must win, or, or I think Jamie Nye came up, must win or can't afford to lose. How's that? I think that was one of Jamie Nye's lines the other day when I heard him on the radio. So they can't afford to lose it. They must win. Got to play a little better. Offensive line's got to play a lot better. I think defensively they can still beat them. I still think they can do it with the defense, but there's a lot yeah, of things going on for offense. And as I said, other than way back to the beginning of the season, we wouldn't have had these concerns. We didn't have these concerns, but season regardless, regardless of the length as a way of showing teams' faults and strengths. And this one, I think we're seeing there's faults right now. You got to look at it though. Even some of the, you know some of the best teams in Riders history, uh, some of the best seasons that they've had have not been without incident, in um, without without a without a pothole. If you look at um, if you look at the '89 season, there was the uh, the game against the BC Lions where Glenn Suter took the pass interference penalty on David Williams with no time remaining. Riders went to four and five as a result of that loss to the BC Lions, and they ended up winning the Grey Cup in 2013. What's that? Weren't they nine and nine in '89? They finished nine and nine, but they were four and five at, at one point. After that loss to BC, I know that. But I'm just saying they were nine and um, nine. If you look at the, the the 2013 season, they had the infamous Dude in the Avenue incident at midseason, yeah. and they also had a, a spot a spell in that season where they lost four consecutive games. If you look at the 2007 season, they had a stretch just past just beyond midseason where Matt Dominguez gets hurt and they lose three games in a row. So, even some of the best some of the champions, uh, 66, they didn't really run into something that that uh, disruptive or potentially disruptive, but it was also a 9-6-1 team. It wasn't a real, you know, after a strong start, that team pretty much leveled off. It wasn't a joy ride for the 66 Rough Riders to get to the Grey Cup. So the four championship seasons in Rider history, they, they've all had some points where they've had to overcome, address and overcome some, some adversity. And at five and three, they, they've built themselves a bit of a cushion and some wiggle room to the point where I don't think this is a must-win game. They could lose their next two and still be a 500 team and probably get into the playoffs. But mm-hmm. every game becomes a little more important when there's only 14 of them as opposed to 18. That's when you're talking about those other games, those other seasons, they could bounce back from an extended losing streak. There's no time to bounce back. And they're on the road so much. And I know yeah. that every team has to deal with their foibles and the way the season's drawn up like, Jeez, what is Edmonton playing? Three games in seven days, I think. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, it's ridiculous. But it's a, that's the hockey schedule. Yeah, it's in you know that's the only thing. But I think I'm kind of looking forward to Thanksgiving week and then a bye week and then it's a full-on sprint to the end of the season. God knows when that'll be. Imagine playing covering football in December. Like <laughs> I can't remember the last Great Cup was in December. I think there was one though. There, there had been. Well, the, in 1972, the Great Cup was in December in yeah. Hamilton. And uh, here they are in December in Hamilton again. Now, that may be an eerie flashback for Ryder fans because that was Ian Sunter kicking the, the field goal in the last play to give the Tiger Cats a 13-10 victory over the Rough Riders. So a great cup in December may be a good omen in that, uh, in that uh, uh, the Rough Riders – a great cup in Hamilton in December may be a, a good omen and the Rough Riders have gotten to one before. And there's another one. John Hodge had something on Three Down Nation that was really cool. Winnipeg – 
if they finish first in the West, if they host the West final, it will be the first time they've host, played host of the West final since 1972. They've had other first place finishes, but remember that they were in the East okay, when, they, when they did that. So John Hodge of Three Down Nation had this cool piece on first time since 72 that the Bombers could play host of the West final. What happened in 1972? The Riders went to Winnipeg and uh, defeated yeah. the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So uh, on a late field goal by Jack Abinchan. I was at that game. It was my first plane ride. So I was eight years old. So if, if you look at it, Winnipeg playing host to the West Final, Grey Cup in Hamilton. That hasn't happened since 72. Maybe that's a good omen for the Rough Riders, as long as you subtract the Ian Center field goal. Well, I remember that game because I was living in Thompson, Manitoba with my family. And for some reason, it wasn't on TV. And we drove around Thompson for the whole game of my dad's Frontenac, listening to the game on the radio. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> and I can also admit I was a diehard Target Cats fan, so I remember being very happy from that moment. But yeah, I didn't know you lived in Thompson, Manitoba. Yeah, my, my dad was in construction, so we went up there to build a couple of gold, I don't know, nickel mines? I can't remember. I was only 72, but that was... Yeah, I've been, I've been around. I've been around a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, was re- I was reading Peter Mans. I'm reading Peter Mansbridge's autobiography, which just came out. It's great. He worked in Regina for for about a year, um, and he worked in Churchill, Manitoba, and he was a uh, an agent for Transair, and uh, he was also a, uh, he worked at the CBC station in, in in Churchill, Manitoba. There was no way to get to Churchill, Manitoba by a road. You could only take a railway or fly in, and. Uh, Peter Mansbridge, I interviewed him for my book on the 66 Rough Riders, and he was a rider fan, and he loved Ron Lancaster. So living in, in northern Manitoba, he'd be like you, trying to get the radio signal, listening to the Rough Riders games back in the back in his days in, in Churchill, Manitoba. It's a great book. Pick it up. It's so good. Because I've heard that. I love Peter Mansbridge. That's kind of his story, how he got discovered. Didn't some radio guy hear him announcing things on the uh... – he was announcing an incoming or outgoing flight, and yeah. somebody went up to the desk and said, "You got a good voice. You should go into radio, or you can go into broadcasting." Yeah, like that. yeah. That's certainly that was yeah. certainly a an excellent Lana Turner moment for for, for, for Peter Mansbridge. Well, I've nobody's ever asked us to do anything on the basis of our voice except for this podcast. I'm saying I've got the looks and the voice for print, so as long as yes, we leaning on that, I'll be fine with that one. Rob, do you want to read the final goodbye? Um, Does you have one last, last statement to make? Yeah, absolutely. This is our, our, we have to read this or we will be shot. This is uh, an edict from the upper highest levels of leader post management. Um, I wish I had a Peter Mansbridge voice to, to read this because it would be so much more impactful uh, were I blessed with such a larynx. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show. It sounds like I'm dictating because I am on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the air. On the show, I blew it. See, this is why I'm not in broadcasting. You can follow me, that being Rob, on Twitter at at Rob Vanstone or Murray, and Murray's at at Murray LP. So there we are, another Rider Rumblings in the books. Well done. I just want to say a happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I went and bought a big turkey yesterday. First, we didn't have family at the last Thanksgiving dinner. So it's going to be a nice one. We could all kind of all get together and uh, enjoy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Kind of early. Yeah, and I, we'll see if the riders serve up another big turkey on Saturday <laughs> at Mosaic Stadium. 
I remember you and I fighting over the turkey leaves in Montreal one night. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and we're also we've also it's also a big weekend for Murray and I, yes. because the Denver Broncos are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, we put dinner on it. Yes. So um, I wish I was wearing my suitable Bronco garb now. So we've we've basically got a major uh, uh, eating fest at Fired Up Grill uh, next week, riding on the outcome of this NFL game. So we're, we're we're far too professional to wager on the CFL, even though yes, single game exactly. betting is now a thing. Yeah. This is tangential. For Murray McCormick, I'm the uh, uh, wholly discredited Rob Vanstone. Thank you so much for your time today, and we'll do this again next week. And who knows what the topics will be next week, because uh, this, this promises to be a really interesting game on Saturday. Thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving, and, and take care of yourselves and stay safe.